opening is taken from the book of first it's taken from the book of uh, I'm sorry first John 3 1 in the bulletin it says first John 1 3 that's an error so it is taken from the book of first John chapter 3 verse 1 and it read thus how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The words of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my, how, my heart words of my mouth, that is, and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as those that are joining us with us here today and those that will watch this sermon uh, by itself later, we just want to greet you and welcome you. Uh, it's a bit of a little bit emotional morning for your, your pastor here today. Uh, uh, one, because I spent the whole weekend in Pennsylvania with the kids and the in-laws, and so we got back last night and you know, when you take four and a half year olds on a road trip, it's whoo, let me tell you, I'm already tired, feeling it. But of course, uh, with that, just the gravity of the situation of the world that we're in. And so uh, those that were maybe looking at this sermon online later and uh, wondering if it was specifically going to be upon that, just want to let you know we did have a time of prayer of what's going on in Ukraine and with Russia and the rest of the world uh, earlier. And this evening, what the church will have a 7 p.m. Uh, prayer time as well. And so even if you live in the area, uh, join us normally online, but you're still welcome to come and be part of that this evening. Well, as we uh, jump into sermon, I debated a course this week with everything going on in the world, what were the right things to say, and um, I guess the Lord never really convinced me to shift course this week, so maybe we'll see in weeks come, but today we're going to finish the sermon series that we've been in. Uh, Woohoo, yeah. So again, I know uh, many things may be upon our hearts this morning and many things that uh, we're looking for, but I found really there's no better comfort than maybe what was already planned. And so I thought I'd share that here today. And that sermon series that we've been in is one called 10,000 Charms. Uh, it comes actually from uh, another hymn that we are maybe quite familiar with. That ends in the, oh not ends, but the chorus goes like this. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. And every time I sing that song, that, that line of 10,000 charms stays with me, that the Lord is worth pursuing because of his goodness, because of the, the wonderfulness of who he is and who he get, what he gives when we are, he is sought. Specifically, of course, we've been also kind of a sub kind of verse of the sermon series has been Psalm verse 30, or chapter 34, verse 8, that is, that simply says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so if you've ever spent any time turning your heart towards Jesus Christ, you know the glorious 10,000 treasures that await there, those charms that the Lord has as we seek his arms. Well, this has uh, been a three-week sermon series. The first week we talked about this is that Jesus offers us rest for our souls, and what a charm that is. But this is kind of like one of those infomercial, but oh, it gets better, right? It not only does that, it Julian's fries, right? And so week two, we looked at Jesus' uh, charm of forgiveness, 
of sins and what a powerful sermon, or not just sermon, but what a powerful message it is that we can be forgiven our sins. Now, I told you this is a three-week thing. We're going to talk about something here in a minute, but there's actually kind of a fourth sermon that really needed to fit in here, and I'm just going to squeeze it in just real, real briefly. But if there was a fourth ser- or a third sermon, it really should have gone like this uh, here today, and that is, is that Jesus doesn't just forgive our sins, but he actually, he actually gives us the strength to change, to overcome them, to not be dominated by them, and to pull ourselves out of death and into holy living, and that we can do that. In fact, it's not just about the forgiveness of sins, it's about the regeneration of the soul to make us not only forgiven, but conquerors over sin because of what Jesus has done for us. That would have been sermon number three in a nutshell right there, which leads us to this day's sermon uh, as we close out before the season of Lent begins. And oh, it is something I would say even sweeter, if even possible, than the first two were, or even the first three. In old terms, in old, I say old, as in, 1700s terms, that is, people would talk about this special kind of thing. And it was something that they just largely passed around and said all the time, and people knew exactly what it is. And today we've kind of lost maybe a little bit of what it meant, but this is what they talked about. They talked about the idea of blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about craving that or wanting to buy that or what you could do to earn that or what all those different things, but... Blessed assurance is what they called it back in the old quote-unquote days and what maybe we're talking about here today. Blessed assurance, of course, when I hear those words immediately, if you've been in the church for a while and sang the hymns of the church, that song, Blessed Assurance, pops into your mind and you can't stop singing it. Of course, I know uh, we may be singing it a little later, right? <laughs> okay, so we're going to be singing that a little later. So don't worry. So if you want to get up and sing, don't worry. You're going to have your chance in a little bit here today, but blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Now, of course, what they meant by that was not just assurance, but they meant something kind of very specific by that, and here's what they meant. We read in our reading here this morning from John, 1 John, that is, the letter of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and just for emphasis, the writer adds, and that is what we are. See, the 10,000 charms. Jesus not only offers us rest for our souls, he not only offers us forgiveness of sins, he not only offers us the ability to conquer our sins and to pull out of that sins and the bondage and death that's associated with it, but he calls us, names us, adopts us as his very own child. Amazing thing. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you accept that which has been offered to you through the gift of grace, get this, you're a child of God. I know many of you maybe uh, have had children, or maybe even if you haven't, but you can kind of get the idea, I love my children, right? And in fact, one of the things that occurs to me so often is that, you know, probably the only thing I'm irreplaceable on this earth is to be a father to my children, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, they look up and need me so very much. And of course, out of all the words they use, the one that always melts my heart the most is daddy, right? No one else can be their daddy, right? There's only one daddy for them, right? And when I hear those words, whether it's, hey, daddy, get me some orange juice, or just sometimes, you know, the kids after being bad, they'll go, daddy, I love you. You're the best daddy ever. And you go, oh, thanks. I can't be mad at you anymore, right? But it just melts your heart because it's such a special relationship, right? That of a parent 
to a child. And yet the goodness of God wasn't just, hey, I want you back in the kingdom of God to be my little servant or be my little doorman or whatever. The, the whole purpose of God was to say, no, I want you back as my child, my heir, if you will, the one who shares the table with me, who I invest my energy into to one day, you know, in human terms, to, you know, take my, my place and be in my stead, to be in God's terms, in the heavenly terms, my ambassador, right? A child of God. I love the way Romans chapter 8 says it, and it's one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible or sections of verses. It's Romans chapter 8, starts in verse 14, and Paul's writing these words. He says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And I love this. We did not receive a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear. We receive the spirit of sonship. And by this we cry, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba is kind of fun. Because it was not actually a Hebrew word. It's Aramaic. And basically, if you're going to translate it in today's words, into what modern English, you would translate it, Daddy. It was a term of endearment. It wasn't the official fatherly name of father. It was my daddy. And Paul is saying here, you and I, through the grace of Jesus Christ and offered, if we accept it, have the very spirit of God living inside us, and that spirit is crying out on our behalf with, the, with in union with our spirit to not the father, God in heaven, on arch throne, but daddy. Our very own daddy who's there for us, loving us, and the verse goes on, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children. And this is what they meant by blessed assurance, is that the very Spirit of God was living inside you and testifying that you knew in your own soul, right? You didn't wonder, you didn't pander, you didn't plead to God or anything like that. You knew because the very Spirit of God was in communication with your own soul and testifying to you that you or a child of God. Now, if that's not a gospel message, that's, that's not good news, I don't know what is, right? I mean, that is an amazing, amazing thing. <laughs> that is shout-up, hallelujah type of story, right? That the Lord loves us so much that he would give us the spirit of sonship, and that spirit would cry out to the Lord, Daddy, right? That the relationship the Lord wants with you and I is not one of standoffish dad, it's Daddy, come climb on me, wrestle with me, play with me, be with me, because I am your daddy. Children of God. Now, of course, as we use that term, it's worth reflecting just a little minor bit for just a moment of how we use that term in our society, because we use that all the time, and you hear it all the time. And, you know, it's, it's a very valid way of using it, per se, because often as the way we use it is that we say we're all children of God. And in fact, in the church, uh, even in modern times, in the Methodist church at least, I can say that when I'm with other pastors and pastor conferences, uh, part of what's always being said is we're all children of God. And what we mean by that is that all of us have value, that furthermore, not only are we all valuable, but all of us have equal value just because we exist and just because God has made us. And because of that, of course, what we normally also refer to that as some of the things we see in our Constitution, that we have certain unalienable rights, that we're all children, right? And of course, what we mean by that is coming from America with slavery and all the racism and all the other things that we've dealt with and tried to overcome, we want to make sure that we don't lose sight that everyone has value. And so that's kind of what we say in general in our society, that all are children of God. But the Bible 
gets a little more specific when it uses that term, and I don't want us to lose that here today. Because the way the Bible talks about the children of God is not the fact that they we're all children of God. In fact, the Bible kind of talks about that we're all children of sin and death and slavery. And that's God's very work that's offered to us freely without price. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, through his death, the atonement was offered for our sins. Through his resurrection, new life was given to us to regenerate our souls. And the gift of the Holy Spirit empowers us once again to know here and now that we are God's children. And so to be a child of God, and, and while I don't want to hang on, we want to hang on to what's being said and normally in our culture because surely creation teaches us that all are made in the image of God and that the fingerprint of God is upon every single person. And no matter who they are, they're a person of worth and that no abuse or physical violence can ever be accepted, whether it's a female, whether it's a child or part of the LGBT community or on and on and on and on. Everyone has a value. But at the same time, we can hold on to that idea and also say, oh, but it gets better than just being valuable. God's redeemed us. And we're the children of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And I want to proclaim that story above all other stories because Jesus Christ loves us and we are his children. Amen. Here today, church, we are God's children and the spirit is here and is available to you to testify to your own spirit that you are a child of God. It's the promise in the scripture and the promise in the Bible that you, oh, 10,000 charms, are a child of the Lord, God on high. That We are valuable beyond understanding. That even though we would use our free will so often to be full of pride or replace God with ourselves or to do the things we want to do, even though despite we know they're wrong, the story that God came after us, instilled in us that ability to receive him, that through cross, the resurrection, and the impartation of the Holy Spirit is available here and now for all of us, for any who would accept it. The early Methodists kind of had an early uh, thing, and this wasn't just unique to them, but kind of the times is one of the things they'd also kind of ask each other, and I'll put it in modern terms here today just to kind of make it easy, but they would often ask themselves when they were among each other, and whether it was a Bible study or small groups or just eating a meal at someone's houses, one of the questions they'd often ask themselves and each other were, is the Holy Spirit testifying to your soul that you're a child of God? And when the answer was yes, that was blessed assurance. And the assurance that not only am I going to heaven, there's that too, but even before that, Right here and now, heaven's already living inside me because I'm a child of God, despite the circumstances going on in whatever circumstance I find myself, child of God here and now, born anew. In fact, that blessed assurance was something John Wesley himself really suffered from, I guess I should say, because he craved it beyond all other things. And if you ever study him or read his writings in his early days, he struggled as a young pastor. He was trying to do the things that God be, the you know, missionary and do all these different things. And he just always felt, he never felt this security in the Lord. In fact, he always felt like he was not enough. He always felt like he should be doing more. He always felt all those different uncertain things that are inside us. And he yearned just to know that the Lord had accepted him for who he was and had redeemed him despite his circumstance. And he, well, even, uh, he was even a being a pastor at this time, seeking the Lord, doing these things. He talked with other pastors, and he basically confessed to them where he was. 
they said, what should I do? And I don't know if this was good advice, but they said, well, just keep preaching it till you feel it yourself, right? <laughs> and so he went on and he kept preaching it. He was faithful and he did exactly that. Except that one night, it was on May 24th of 1738, he was joining with some other Christians and they were reading basically the prologue of the, the um, epistle of the Romans, of Paul's epistle to the Romans. And it was Martin Luther, he was just writing down some thoughts and things like that to a prologue of just reading the book. And uh, Martin Luther had left this legacy, and so they were just reading that. And John Wesley says, like, in that moment, he's described as, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I love those terms, because you don't use that very often, right? <laughs> I felt my heart strangely warmed. And of course, what he meant by that was that blessed assurance, as he goes on to describe it, that blessed assurance that he Yes, he was a child of God, that God had come to save him. Oh, yes, he, John Wesley, indeed. And the rest of his ministry was spent out helping every single person he ever came across know that truth as well. Beloved family of God, I know the world's crazy. I know. But guess what? If you're willing to accept it, you are a child of God. Ten thousand charms. Amen and amen.